Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg. I'm recording this on Thursday of what has been one of the crazier weeks, I think fair to say, in recent world history, with the entire globe just about grinding to a halt slowly but surely as people try to stop the spread of COVID-19, the coronavirus that is sweeping the globe in a bad way. We on NCR are going to keep going through this, even as the tennis tours both seem to be grinding to a halt. The ATP has stopped for six weeks. The WTA has been stopping more piece by piece, but it's added up to five weeks of stopping so far with Miami Open canceling, Charleston canceling, Bogota canceling, and uh, something else also canceling. Everything's pretty much getting canceled right now, and it's a question of you know, what will be the first not to cancel rather than what cancels so far. So NBA has canceled, NHL is stopping, uh, March Madness, the big basketball tournament just canceled, uh, lots, all the other college championships and every other sport have canceled so far. So there's a whole lot of uncertainty and cancellation and caution going on right now. And that I think everyone can agree is prudent. So on this show, we're going to have a return visit from my friend, Dr. Chris Warsham, who is pulmonologist at Mass General and Harvard Medical School to talk a bit about the spread of coronavirus from a bit of a tennis lens. We get in some non-tennis parts of it at times because obviously this is a topic that is much bigger than tennis by a large, large scale. Uh, but we talk a bit about what events are facing and why it makes sense to be canceling events and some other questions there. So did not expect to have Chris back on the show twice already after having him on previously this year to talk about the wildfire situation in Australia and the possible breathing risks that might cause for people there. Uh, that wound up being less of a, a factor in the main draw of the tournament as the wind shifted away and the fires uh, were not really an issue, but this coronavirus is definitely landing in a big way right now. So talk to Chris about that and then stay tuned after the interview for some exciting news about an NCR book club. Here's Chris. Delighted to be joined on No Challenges Remaining once more by Dr. Chris Warsham, who makes an earlier than expected return to the show after the coronavirus outbreak has become a global pandemic and derailed at least one tennis tournament, big one so far in Indian Wells, and likely more to come. Uh, the news on this is traveling very quickly, just as we were getting ready to record uh, the NBA shut down its season indefinitely, and Donald Trump announced a travel banned from all travel for, or suspension of travel for 30 days from all European destinations. And so just this thing is moving very quickly, but in the midst of the storm, hopefully Dr. Chris can again bring some clarity and wisdom to us as he did a couple months ago on the show about the Australian bushfire situation, which feels like a world away in many ways. Now, but Chris, thank you for being on the show once more. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Um, I've of course, I, I too am surprised that it's so soon, but here we are. <laughs> so we were just, let's try to keep, this is, like I said, it's a big sprawling story affecting the whole world. We already did one show a little bit already on the podcast from a more pure tennis perspective about what happens and can they play without fans in the stadium and stuff. But to bring it towards your lane a bit and to keep in both our lanes, start with India Wells getting canceled. Why does it make sense to cancel a tennis tournament in the midst of a global 
pandemic? And that might seem like an obvious answer, but if you can just articulate uh, what the thinking is and why that's a prudent thing to do. Sure. Uh, and I'll answer that uh, as a physician. Uh, I'm a pulmonologist. I, I actually deal with respiratory viruses, um, which is the family of viruses that cause problems every cold and flu season, including coronaviruses, which circulate every year. All of us uh, who practice medicine have some familiarity with these because they're so common, and all of us human beings on planet Earth have some familiarity with viruses like these because they infect pretty much everybody, I'm assuming, at some point in their life. I am not an epidemiologist. I am not a virologist. I'm not an infectious disease specialist. Right. And I don't know all the up-to-date information about this. However, there are some basic truths about viruses and how viruses spread that I can definitely share some insight in and how we've gotten to a point where we're canceling tennis tournaments, among many, many other things around the world right now. So when you have a infectious disease that, as far as we can tell from this virus, spreads fairly easily, can cause pretty severe disease. There are people dying. There are people in intensive care units on breathing machines. Based on what we have seen in China, this is a pretty serious virus. And so we have to take everything seriously. We don't know a lot about it. And so a lot of things are going to come out of an abundance of caution. Uh, we have to exercise more caution when we have less certainty about how things are going to go. And so when you are watching the news, when you are uh, listening to public health officials, when you are going onto cdc.gov slash coronavirus and reading some of this stuff for yourself, you'll see a lot of uh, recommendations that are there because we're guessing that that's what's going to be best. And some of those guesses are good educated guesses. And some of those are guesses we're kind of forced to make because we just don't know. So respiratory viruses, coronavirus, other viruses you've heard of, like influenza is a respiratory virus. Respiratory meaning it, it comes and it enters the body through our breathing tract. So somewhere in the mouth, nose, and lungs and tends to cause problematic infections there. Um, so that's influenza. Uh, viruses you that may or may not sound familiar, rhinovirus, adenovirus, uh, these things circulate every year. And the way people pass them from one to another is through what are called respiratory droplets. So you cough, you talk, you sneeze, little bits of water come out of your mouth, if you are infected, there's going to be little viral particles in that water. And if somebody else gets that in their mouth, in their eyes, in their nose, or if they touch it and then touch their face, that can get into their body and cause an infection there. And, and it's really that simple. We, we forget how many respiratory droplets we give off all the time. Uh, just the fact that I'm talking right now, if you were to do one of those um, videos we we all might have seen on like Bill Nye the science guy where they shine a really bright light in front of somebody who's sneezing and you see all those particles come out. If you do that when somebody's talking, you can see all those particles come out. And so they're everywhere and they're really hard to avoid generating them. It's really hard to avoid coming in contact with them. 
and it's very easy to then touch your face or get them on your face and for people to get infected. So at something like a tennis tournament, if you have one infected person show up and they cough and sneeze on railings or touch a counter somewhere or you know they're sitting next to you in the bleachers, that one person can potentially spread a virus to a bunch of other people who can then spread it to a bunch of other people. So simply congregations of people are a potential for viral spread. Let, let me stop there, I guess, for a second. You, the tournament made its decision to, Indian Wells made its decision to postpone this year's tournament, which now, as I was thinking before they did it, like, I thought their odds of start, they looked like they were ready to start the tournament, but their odds of finishing, I thought would be very low with how the spread was going. This is three, four days ago now. Obviously, things have blown up in the last three, four days in terms of the scale of kind of events getting shut down. And that feels like a relatively minor, you know, choice in the midst of, you know, NBA. Like I said, it's just got just suspended its entire season effective tonight. Indy Wells made a decision once there was one confirmed case of coronavirus positive test in the Coachella Valley, which is the region of Riverside County, California, where they're located and was that like was that a reasonable time to make the decision having one local case or should it have been done before that or a lot of players their initial reaction was oh why are we stopping there's only one case like how is one person getting sick enough to shut this all down so i know you're not an epidemiologist which may be the better person to field this kind of question but how you know what is a what is the level of caution to take or not take was this a good timing on the decision too late too early how do you measure that um, I, I think the answer to many, many questions that come up and not just in the tennis world um, of are, dis- are the decisions the right decision, uh, we're not going to know the answer to that for some time. However, I think you have to, when you see a decision like this get made, um, look at it from all of the angles and all of the people that have that that have the responsibility of public health on them. A tennis tournament organizer, uh, probably does think about public health to some degree when they're putting together a tennis tournament, but it's certainly not the focus of their attention. Whereas a public health official from the local government, uh, that's all they think about. Right. If you have one confirmed case of coronavirus, especially when we're talking about confirmed cases of community spread, meaning it wasn't from the case wasn't from somebody who had traveled to Wuhan, China and came back and had a fever, but it's someone who tests positive and they don't really know why. That doesn't just mean that there's one person infected. That just means we found one person who is infected. That one person also was sick enough that they ended up at a doctor or an emergency room somewhere that they got tested. But usually um, the cases that we find, especially with the lag of testing that is currently going on, that that we just don't have enough tests. Um, pretty much any case we find, uh, a lot of people are sort of considering a tip of the iceberg. So if one is found, there's probably more. And if you have a bunch of people congregating together, not taking necessarily the appropriate precautions that you would want them to take, um, you can very easily spread a virus around that local area. And furthermore, foreigners coming in, uh, foreigners from other countries or even other parts of the U.S. who then come in to that area could then potentially pick up 
the virus and bring it back to an area uh, in the world where the virus wasn't there before. No, that's what we're saying. I mean, tennis tournaments seem like a kind of nightmare scenario for a pandemic, like a perfect storm of bat, minus the lack of like it's better than having, I don't know, like a, you know, game of like Twister or something where there's more physical contact. But, you know, people coming in from all over the world, you know, to meet in one place and then disperse back to their locations like pretty quickly often a lot of them whether it's fans whether it's a coach who comes in for one tournament or something or you know it's it seems like a nightmare scenario for mixing germs and then you know fanning them back out around the globe pretty quickly and there are players you know who are going to be in indian wells from from italy from korea from china from other affected from you know washington state potentially a lot of fans at least probably from washington state coming to this california tennis tournament so those are just the main hotspots. And now we see, if you look at a map of where it is in the U.S., even just that, it's it's everywhere. And as, and as you're saying, you know, what we know about the numbers is a, is a you believe, is a, or everyone believes, is a pretty small fraction of the actual tests. Also because the U.S. seems pretty far behind testing compared to a lot of other countries. Yeah. And again, this is like we talked about back with the bushfires um, in Australia. Uh, this is, yes, partially about the players. I think the bushfires were a little more about the players because right. they're exercising. But if we just look at the human beings that are showing up at this tennis tournament, the players are an extremely small portion of them. Um, it's really about everybody else that goes along with the tournament and where they're coming from and where they're going back to. So if you're putting together a tennis tournament or if you're a local government hosting these events, not only do you not want people to bring virus to you, but you do not want to be responsible uh, for spreading virus around the world. Um, I think we all in a situation like this want to make sure that we're doing our part as as global citizens to make sure we're not unnecessarily spreading a virus to somewhere where it might not have otherwise ended up. Yeah. <clears throat> ominously coughing is there a <laughs> i think i also coughed on the smoke episode so i'm really uh, two for two on this one argument one argument i heard about tennis is some people think it might be safer to be in an outdoor event and as you mentioned this yeah a very small fraction of the people at the tennis tournament are players indian wells averages attendance from fans of over four hundred thousand people coming through the gates a year I mean, some of them repeats on multiple days, but 400,000 attendants for the year. Is it any safer in an outdoor space than it would, would be in a NBA arena, or is that not really a factor? Um, probably not. I think one thing to consider when we're talking about outdoors versus indoors uh, is namely going to be sort of ventilation. Mm -hmm. Um these viruses, and the same goes for the flu and, and for the common cold viruses, they do not linger in the air. They're, it's not like they're hovering in the air and people breathe them in and catch them. If I can dispel a, a myth about airplanes, for example, the reason why people catch colds after they fly in an airplane is not because the airplane, the air in the airplane is dirty. In fact, it's actually quite clean. It gets filtered continuously throughout the flight. So the air is clean. It is the dirty surfaces, the um, armrests, the little tray tables, the person coughing next to you, onto you. Um, those are the, that's how you get infections. And so even if you have an outdoor tournament, the virus is not hovering in the air and can't really get blown away. It's going to be on 
uh, on surfaces. So door handles, uh, somebody's uh, smartphone, you name it is where it's going to be. Now, when you're outside, granted, uh, oftentimes people are going to be farther away from each other. And that tends to be a good thing because if somebody coughs, it's less likely to land on somebody else. Yeah. Uh, but if you're all crowded together in a tennis stadium, you might as it doesn't really matter if you're outside or inside, you're all crowded in together. Yeah. Some of the, the ultraviolet light, and I don't know enough about coronaviruses to, to say whether the sunlight that comes in might, um, make it such that the virus doesn't last as long on surfaces as it would inside. Uh, but most viral spread is just going to be person to person, uh, droplets from their mouth contact. Yeah. No, you would not be able to have a consistently big radius of space, personal space around you at a tennis tournament, no matter whether it's indoors or outdoors. Yeah. In any, any sort of sporting event really that says any kind of crowd at all, unless you're like alone by yourself, you know, shooting hoops with no one else or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sad image. Before they canceled, Indian Wells had announced these, or BMP Paribas Open, the official name of it, had announced uh, that following medical advice by health experts, the precautionary measures uh, they had taken included things like ball kids being provided gloves to wear on the court, ball kids not handling towels, players not accepting items from fans to autograph or sharpies to use for autographs but those sort of things have look kind of silly in, in retrospect even very short retrospect would those, would those have done anything to help anything or that's just a peace of mind kind of thing yeah i think a lot of it especially an individual action like having a ball kid wear gloves is sort of wishful thinking that it that it would make a big difference uh but they also stem from the common practice that that you know uh, those of us in healthcare emphasize to everybody every single year about sort of uh, social distancing, minimizing contact actually does help reduce spread of these things. The problem is that it's not like the ball kids wear a glove uh, before they touch the ball and suddenly everything's great, right? It's that everything has to be done all the time if you really want to stop something. Right. And as soon as the gloved ball kid like rubs his forehead, it's game over. Right. right. If they yeah. cough onto a glove, if yeah. they don't change their glove, then their glove might as well be their hand. Right. Yeah. So 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 something like that is kind of silly. Um, but something like having players not sign autographs, that is probably going to, you know, nine times out of 10 going to protect the player from the person wanting the autograph. But if you have an infected player that could protect 10 people seeking an autograph. Right. So if you thought of 5,000 different rules to follow, you might be able to do something, um, which is why which is why we, we generally instead just say, wash your hands all the time. Do, try not to touch your face. Do your best not to touch your face. Wash your hands before you eat. There's no need to shake somebody's hand. We know it's polite, but you don't have to do it. You can... Uh, you know, I've been when I've been seeing patients in my clinic lately, I bump elbows. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are just kind of waving from two feet away. I went to a I went to a tennis match at our high school, actually, a couple of days ago. And the players, instead of shaking hands of the net, were bumping elbows. That was their post-match greeting. It's it requires changes to your everyday life. 
These are things we would recommend that everybody do every year, coronavirus or not. Um, when enough people do them, they actually can make a difference because this is how these viruses are spread. One person taking the appropriate precautions, five people out of thousands aren't going to make a difference. Five ball boys wearing gloves is not going to make a difference. But if every single person there is washing their hands frequently, uh, and if people who are sick make sure not to show up, and if people are not necessarily contacting one another, you could conceivably reduce the viral spread uh, pretty substantially. The problem is the odds of that happening are approximately zero. So, you know, if you bought a ticket to a tennis tournament and you have a little sniffle, you're going to go, right? You're not going to sit it out, especially if the tournament isn't going to offer you a refund, right? So so the, the practicalities of doing everything that would need to be done to safely host one of these things are so overwhelming that... Uh, it makes more sense just to cancel them. Yeah. In terms of the vulnerable populations, one thing that people were saying about Indian Wells in particular, but it goes for a lot of tennis tournaments, Indian Wells is a retirement community, basically. Palm Desert, uh, the sort of larger area where it is, and Palm Springs and that whole valley is a lot of retired folks. Um, and those people are seen as more vulnerable to this disease and that they definitely have that much higher mortality rates. I'm curious just from... This is not really a tennis question, but a tennis intro to question. Like, should people who are younger or, or less less vulnerable, but possibly more actively out in the world, are not able to stay inside? Should they like avoid, you know, bringing their grandkids to go see the grandparents for the time being? Like, just like kind of not expose more vulnerable people to these possible contagions. That is a good question. Uh, I will, uh, especially because I don't know how things will have changed by the time anybody's listening to this. The answer is always check uh, with cdc.gov slash coronavirus or check with your doctor before you do anything that you think might be um, unwise. Uh, the current uh, recommendations would basically be that if you're not feeling well, um, you should not be near anybody else uh, if you can avoid it. Uh, if you feel like you're, and maybe it just feels like the run-of-the-mill common cold and you live by yourself uh, and you feel totally fine, it might be probably a good idea to give your doctor a call. Uh, and depending on where you live, public health officials may want to test you for coronavirus. And so it, it may make sense to check the latest updates to see what you are supposed to do in your community. Uh, but if you are not feeling well, if someone you have close contact with is feeling well, uh, yeah, you, you should be avoiding older people, um, vulnerable people, particularly who have lung disease, uh, so people with asthma or COPD, um, because the coronavirus, uh, when it does cause severe disease, does cause pneumonia which can be fatal as we're seeing. So the main thing is the nice thing about being young and healthy is that most, almost all of the people who are young and healthy who catch this virus are going to do fine. And many of them aren't even going to feel that bad when they catch it. The problem with that is that they may be out and about spreading the virus. Uh, and so I believe the state of Washington um, is restricting uh, visiting to uh, nursing homes and areas where there are congregations of vulnerable people uh, be because of this exact problem that 
um, once the virus is in there, it can do a lot more damage in older, vulnerable people um, once it gets there. So generally older people, um, I, I believe they're recommending that they not get on airplanes or get on cruise ships, but I think it will be prudent to uh, uh, anybody avoid anybody else who is sick or not feeling well. Yeah, which could mean, I mean, does that mean that people should, one thing I'm wondering, like, should I like not go to a restaurant for the time being? For, for right now, and again, things can always change and things might be different locally, but for right now, the there is no recommendation to, um, if you are feeling well, um, to stop you from going about your normal life. A lot of employers are encouraging telecommuting right now, uh, which is a great idea and honestly a good idea every cold and flu season, um, but especially now. Yeah. Um, but, but if you're feeling well, there, there's no reason you can't go about your daily life. Just be mindful of those around you um, and be mindful of your surfaces and your hands. You know, the biggest thing is just wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. But the virus can't yeah. does not spread through food. You can't catch it through food. But if as your waiter is handing you your plate and your hands brush with theirs, that's a potential contact. Right. Is there, I guess, what is it that you mentioned that sort of every cold and flu season, you know, these would be good precautions. So we talked a little bit about that offline before about how a lot of these things are not dissimilar to advice you would have any flu season. But what is it that makes coronavirus, I guess, so particularly scary to health experts and to all these organizers who are shutting everything down? I was saying, as we were starting, you know, this feels like the biggest sort of, or the first like real pandemic that I've been conscious of. But then you were saying that the swine flu uh, H1N1 breakout, which was, like, which year was that in? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, 2009. 2009. So yeah, 11 years ago was similar. Um, but why does it, why does this one seem bigger? Why does this one, the one that's getting, feels like the biggest attention? Maybe I just have not the right memory of that time, but I don't remember. Certainly there weren't like, you know, NBA shutting down anything like that. Right. The single biggest, uh, in, in my opinion, the single biggest, scariest thing about this right now is the uncertainty. We don't know enough about this. Um, and it's one of these situations where the little bit that we do know about coronavirus makes us particularly worried. Uh, the last coronavirus we had was the MERS, so Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. And the one before that was SARS, if we can remember. I think that was back in 2002. Mm -hmm. But these other coronavirus, new coronaviruses, have followed a similar pattern to this when they initially broke out. Um, they were detected because there were people dying at pretty high rates of these viruses. Neither of those viruses uh, reached pandemic levels, uh, and this one has. Fortunately, this coronavirus does seem to be substantially less lethal than those. But the main reason to worry is even if this is just as, you know, equally le lethal as the influenza that circulates every year, uh, influenza kills tens of thousands of Americans every year. It infects millions. Uh, it's responsible for um, huge losses in productivity of the economy, millions of missed days of school and the like. Uh, the last thing we need is 
yet another virus that's just as bad as the flu floating around. So uh, even in the best case scenario where this just ends up being sort of another virus that's floating around, uh, we don't need that. Uh, We have enough viruses. (laughs) So anything we can do to reduce the number of problematic viruses out there, um, we should do that. Uh, And in this case, because we still don't know how severe it might be, we need to be doubly cautious until we have more information. What would, last sort of thing, I think, what would the finish line look like for this? Like, how will we know when we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel? Like, what will it just be like, is it like the flu has a tip, like you said, has a flu season, which has an end date. Will this be a seasonal thing? Is this going to be something that it's going to go away when the weather gets warmer and it's summer or... Is it going to possibly persist for well into the summer? I mean, how do, how do we, that's one of the things I think that I find most disconcerting is I don't know, you know, as I was buying groceries today, if I should be, you know, how, what my sort of, uh, what the time span is on the, on the worst of this, what, what, what the duration of that would be. Do we, what do you know if that would give us any indication of what the arc might be in terms of just time? Yeah, so so I don't know, and the short and the and nobody else knows, right? No, nobody knows. The only way we're going to know is to let time pass and see what happens. That being said, um, most respiratory viruses follow a pretty um, predictable schedule that we call flu season, and other coronaviruses that are less severe than this that circulate every year, um, their rates tend to go down when the weather warms up. Uh, and so the hope is that this will happen with this virus. That being said, these viruses do circulate all year round, right? You People get colds in the summer. Uh, it's just that way more of them get colds in the winter. Uh, and, and so what we don't know is, uh, hope, well, hopefully it slows down when the weather warms up. And hopefully by the time we get there, we understand this virus a lot more and we know a lot more about how it's spread and who it spreads in and who is at risk of having severe disease and who isn't. I think over the coming months, we'll start to get a lot more information. A lot of that is going to hinge on our ability to test people. And really, the answer is time will tell. The biggest concerns that I have as a doctor and as an intensive care doctor is every cold and flu season, we uh, fill up, our, our emergency rooms fill up. Um, and our intensive care units fill up. And that's when we don't have an extra virus running around. And so where we're going to start seeing potential problems is uh, if lots of people are getting sick all at the same time, it's going to put a lot of stress on our healthcare system. Um, If doctors and nurses and therapists and pharmacists start getting sick, um, that'll put stresses on our system. And so we might be feeling the fallout of this from a medical standpoint for a while, and the rest of the economy is going to be feeling it for a while. Uh, and that includes the you know sports and entertainment industries. So sure. it, yeah. it may be a, a while before things return to normal, but I think panic will hopefully decrease sooner rather than later. Well, thank you very much for your soothing uh, <laughs> panic reducing, or at least at least blood pr- pressure reducing, or pulse, whatever, whatever the I don't even know any of that medical terms to say what even re- you reduce, but you've reduced something that feels positive. So uh, thank you for that, Chris, for coming back on the show, and hopefully uh, there are no further global geopolitical 
issues in medicine and sport intersecting in the foreseeable future as much as it's been nice having you on yeah well well if if it happens again i'm I'm happy to come back and chat about it uh as parting words again i'll recommend cdc.gov slash coronavirus uh wash your hands and uh, for the podcast listening audience, the single dirtiest thing you own is your smartphone. Mm. Um, so scrub that down with alcohol regularly. How do you do that with a phone? I would be nervous to get liquid on a phone. Um, well, a lot of the phones but... are waterproof, um, but you can get like uh, Purell would probably like smudge. Um, but if you can get a little alcohol swab or an alcohol wipe or a Lysol wipe. Okay. Um, or put some rubbing alcohol on a on a cotton ball. Your your phones are disgusting. Everybody's phone is really gross. And you hold them up you against hold... your face too. Right, and you touch them all day long. Well, on that note, I'm looking at my phone with disgust. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but thank you for being. I'm looking at you much more much more pleasantly. Thank you for being on here. Uh, you can you were on Twitter as well throughout the pandemic. At oh yeah, Chris Warsham is your handle there. Uh, any other, yeah, you mentioned cdc.gov. Any other things that you've read or I don't know if any articles come to mind. I can, you can send me links and I can put them in the description. I, I think uh, the CDC is probably your best bet. Uh, unfortunately, uh, politicians uh, seem to not really understand this well and have a lot of trouble communicating what needs to be communicated. Uh, the CDC is run by a lot of people who really know what they're talking about. And so I, I think the best information is there and from local health officials. The New England Journal of Medicine, NEJM.org, uh, provides a lot of uh, interesting, more scientific takes, but that they're providing free and are geared towards a general public um, during this outbreak. Uh, so I think that's a good source as well. Nice. Well, thank you very much for all of that, and thank you all for listening to the show. Be well out there. So thank you to Dr. Chris Warsham once again, and thank you guys for listening to the show. We are going to keep going on with the show during the stoppage of play, and one of our first ideas for that, that Courtney and I have come up with, is by doing an NCR book club, which I think we've talked about maybe doing in the past, but now we are have all the time in the world to do it, it seems like, uh, with this suspension of the tours. We are going to start with one of our favorite books, which is Venus Envy by John Wertheim, which came out uh, in 2001, I believe, and covers the 2000 season in women's tennis in the WTA. Uh, mentioned it in passing, actually, a couple episodes ago with Sally Bradfield about how it's a, my favorite book on tennis, pretty much. It's just so much fun and such an interesting time and so fun and well told uh, by John. And so we encourage everybody to read that book as we get ready to uh, talk about it. And we have a couple other selections we're going to be doing as well. We're going to be doing uh, Hard Courts by John Feinstein, as well as The Rivals by Johnette Howard, which is about Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova's rivalry. So first three books lined up, we're going to start with Venus Envy. And if you can get it used on Amazon, or I don't think it's still in print actively, but definitely available as an ebook as well, however you want to get it from a local library. Those are all good things to do. And so happy reading and thank you to everyone for following with us through all this. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can send us emails to no challenges remaining at gmail.com and leave us reviews on whatever your podcast catcher app of your choice is. It really helps us out. iTunes especially uh, makes more people be able to find NCR, which we really appreciate. And do tell your friends, you know, if they're looking for uh quarantine entertainment ncr and the book club are here for them we have our patreon page 
where we really appreciate your generosity and donations and the more than hundred people who have already signed on to help us uh, with the show and help us with, I guess, general expenses as our tour. And at least for me, uh, way of earning a living grinds to a halt for the time being. So thank you to everybody who's done that. Thank you to our slam champ level backers who are Betty Chuang Nguyen, Liz Kennel, and Jonathan Weinbaum, as well as our goat backer, J-O-D. Thank you to them. And if you want to hear your own name on the show, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. We'll see you guys next time with the book. Probably will be our next episode. Maybe something else will happen first, but I think the book club Venus Anthony will likely be next. So until then, bye guys. Yeah! What's up, y'all? <laughs> this is your boy, D-Mike. You see, I usually do songs with, like, hooks and concepts and shit, right? But fuck that, man. I'm trying to go platinum. So I'm about to rock this shit. Check this out, y'all. Uh, read a book.